Evening church. I just wonder how many of you here have finished your shopping, your Christmas shopping. How many of you guys? Anyone finish? Oh, look at that. Look at all these procrastinators. Now, I wonder, is it a gift that you are going to prepare for a friend, a family, a work colleague, or your pastor? But let me ask you this, church, how many of you are preparing a gift for your Lord Jesus Christ? If you can answer honestly to yourself, how many of you are preparing a gift for Jesus? You probably never even thought about it because you don't see him and how can he receive it? Never really thought about it. Now, if we really are honest, this is a busy time. It's a time of festivity. It's a time of holiday. There's lights, there's glamour, there's glitter, there's tinsels everywhere. Everyone's just buying gifts for each other. There's a Christmas rush that's on the horizon. And we sometimes forget exactly whose birthday and event that we are celebrating. Now imagine, imagine it's your birthday. Imagine it's, if it's your birthday and you rock up towards your door. You, you come home from work and you rock up towards your door and you know it's your birthday. And you're pretty excited because your friends, your family and your guests, they're pretty bad at throwing surprises. You see, you see cars parked everywhere on your neighborhood and you recognize those cars. Those are your friends' cars. And you look through the window and you can already see happy birthday decorations everywhere. And you're getting pretty excited and you're, you're at the front door and you're feeling, oh, this is going to be good. But as you walk through that door, you are surprised that there are no surprise from anyone. It seems like the party as you walked in has already started. There's already people dancing on the dance floor to the beats. Hey, shorty, it's your birthday. We're going to party like it's your birthday. They already started the party. But then you see a cake gets brought out, lit with candles, and there's icing of your name on that cake. All is forgiven because you love cake. And you're just ready to dig in and eat that slice. But before you could blow out on these candles, your guests and your friends and your families, they blow out on the candle and then they cut up the cake and you get no portion of it. You don't even get a slice. But then you see them bring out the presents wrapped up. Oh, that's the most important thing, isn't it? You know, coming to birthday, who cares about the cake? Who cares about the celebration surprise? I want the presents. That's the important thing. And you're getting really excited. You're getting your hopes up again. But before you know it, you see your guests, friends and family, they started exchanging these gifts. And before you, they unwrap it. And you hear these lines. Oh no, you shouldn't have. Oh, what? This is all I ever wanted. And you hear others. What is this? (laughs) But at the end of the night, you realize no presence has ever entered your hands. Imagine if you had a birthday like that. Now, how many years and years have we come to the Christmas season without even thinking of preparing a gift for our Lord Jesus. 
How many years have we forgotten that He is the reason for the season? How many years have we not given worship where it is due? Let us not forget that before there was any presence that was under a tree, there was a gift, there was a Savior that died on a tree. Don't ever forget that, church. And so tonight, if you have your Bibles with you, we are looking through the passage, Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. If you have your Bibles with you, turn to it, stay on it. And if you don't have your Bible, it's okay, it's on the screen. But before I dig into the passage, would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that you have brought us here tonight. Lord, we pray that you send your Holy Spirit to make us see how beautiful, how wonderful, how worthy is your Son. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. You there? Verse 1, it says this, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came from Jerusalem and they asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and we have come to worship him. So in a nutshell, these guys from the east, they came to visit King Herod and asked, Where's the King of the Jews? Now to appreciate this passage, you need to understand every character that is presented in this passage. Just to make things clear, okay, we start off with the Magi. Just to make things clear, without my stuttering, unlike our famous Christmas carol, the one that you will hear on the radio or the one that you hear just anywhere that goes, we three kings of Orient are, that's all I'm singing for you. (laughs) First off, they're not kings. But rather, in fact, they're from a tribe called the Magi. They're not kings, but they were actually king makers. And the Bible never mentions about the number of Magi that arrives to worship him. Yes, there was three gifts, but it doesn't necessarily mean that there's only three guys riding on a camel. No, we don't know anything about their number, but we know there's three unique gifts. gifts. Now with the Magi, the word here in the original language is Magoi, where our Bibles translate to Magi. Now, some Bible translation translates this as wise men or astronomers, but there isn't anything in our English language that could describe the role of the Magi. Now, to understand the Magi, we need to go back into ancient history. Now, these Magi, they weren't nobodies. No, they were the VIP of their time, that various Empires throughout history, like the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greek, and even the current Roman Empire, find them, try to befriend befriend them, and seek advice from them. Especially in ancient Persia, no one can become a king unless they meet two conditions. First is if they understand and study all of the discipline of the Magi. And second, they have to be anointed, crowned by the Magi. Two conditions. They are king makers. Magis are king makers. But it says their search for Jesus was not to crown him. If you look in your Bibles, it says they're not there to crown him. They're there to worship him. Because they knew that Jesus was different. Look carefully in verse 2. They asked Herod, where is the one who is born king? 
Now, this is important. Don't miss that because throughout the iniquity of time, hundreds or maybe thousands of boys who are born, but they are born as a prince. Only when they grow up, coming of age, or when their father passes away, or when their father passes their power to them, only when they are crowned and anointed, only then are they king. But no one is born king besides Jesus. He was already and is king. And this question that they gave out, who did the Magi ask? They asked the current king, Herod. Herod the Great. Or if you know his other title, Herod, the King of the Jews. Now that's why verse 3 gives the reason when he heard that, when Herod heard that, he was greatly troubled. Or that word is agitated. He just got so angry and bitter inside. It's like if you ever experience where you like this girl and she comes to you and you think she's into you. But the moment she speaks, she's asking about your friend. (laughs) I never experienced that. I'm sorry if you did, but that's how Herod felt. (laughs) Who's Herod? He got this title, King of the Jews, but he's not a Jew. He's an Edomite. And in his early days, it was thanks to his dad who, who gave him a good head start in the Roman politics. Through various battle merits, through various deeds and bribery of the Roman Senate, because he put all his efforts and his wisdom and usefulness to Rome, the emperor Julius gave him rule and reign over all of Judea. And the emperor gave him these titles, Herod the Great and Herod the King of the Jews. Can you imagine Herod? The Magi comes in, hey, we're looking for the king of the Jews. You're talking to moi. No, no, not you. Imagine how he felt. Of course, he is agitated. Now, history tells us this King Herod, he held so tightly with a death grip on this title. This title was everything to him. It was his precious. It was his awe that it recorded in history that he killed several of his wives, his mother-in-laws. He killed two of his eldest son that was next in line for the throne. Now, this guy, he was known to be paranoid. He is known to have this anxiety. He is known to be insecure. And he doesn't need facts. He doesn't need evidence. If he just feels it, if he feels a bit insecure, he would kill to calm his nerves. Now, there was a saying, it's better to, to be a servant rather than to be a son of Herod. He was, he was crazy. He was a psychopath. That towards the end of his life, on his deathbed, he was getting pretty sick and he devised a plan. He told his armies, he told his guards, hey, I want you to put in jail every single leader under my jurisdiction. And they did. And he told his army, The day I draw my last breath is the day they draw their last breath. And so what happens is he knew, he knew, he knew that when he died, people would celebrate. He knew that no one would shed tears for him. And so he says, I know no one would mourn for me, but the day I die, I will make sure that there will be mourning for me or not for me. I don't care. There will be tears shed on the day 
I die. And he just chopped a lot of heads off. That's why in verse 3, as we see, when the people heard that Herod was troubled, they were troubled. It makes sense. And he calls them together. He calls all the Jewish chief priests and the teachers of the law. And he gets them and he asks them, where is the Christ born? In which the Jewish leaders replied, in Bethlehem. And they quote Micah 5 verse 2. Now these guys knew exactly where the Messiah was going to be born. Now this baffles me. This this flabbergasts me. What doesn't happen? They knew the word and the scripture of God well. They knew well. They knew well where the Messiah was going to be born. Actually, it's just not just the Jewish leaders. Actually, the whole town of Jerusalem knew. The whole town of Jerusalem knew that the Savior was already born because King Herod is troubled about a rival king. They all knew. It is, it is astonishing that not one leader comes and search with the Magi. Not one. They all knew, but they were indifferent. Truth is, They didn't want to worship. They had no interest. And I only can make excuses for them. What was occupying their minds? Was it they were just so occupied by their current king? He's troubled and so, oh no, let's, we're going to be in trouble because he's in trouble. Maybe they're occupied with their situation and circumstances. Or maybe they were just busy. Busy with the temple. Oh, we're worshiping God still. Back to work. Let's go back to the temple. They knew exactly where their Savior was born. But maybe they simply thought it was, maybe they were indifferent. Maybe they just thought, it's just a Savior being born, another baby being born. Meh. Who cares? No big deal. Tonight, I want to talk about three types of worshippers. And the first type is the ignorers, the the indifference people. Are you like the Jewish leaders of old? That when the time comes to Christmas, the time comes to celebrate your Savior's birth, what is occupying you? Is it your circumstances, your trouble, your situation that you're in? Is it the holiday plans that you have ahead or the feast that you're going to go to or the presents that you have to buy or the busyness, the lights, the toys, the, the guests, the visitations? What occupies your mind? Maybe you're just indifferent like these guys. Yeah, it's just another year of Christmas. I know the story. No big deal. Let's open the presents, throw a shrimp on the barbie. If you're in that group today, my plea to you is reconsider Christ. You may know a lot about him, like these guys do, but you don't actually know him. You don't actually have a relationship with him. What gives me hints is the way I see you worship. 
I'm not just talking about how you sing. I'm talking about every aspect of your life because worship is more than just songs. It is a lifestyle. How if you come to church on time or late, you're just like, oh, it's just another day of worship. They're going to sing three songs. It's okay. I can miss the first one, the second one, as long as I'm here for the word. It, the way that you worship is an indicator. Assess yourself. Reevaluate yourself. Reconsider Christ. And the second type of worshippers. So the first one is the ignorers. And the second type, I would like to call them the fakers. Look at verse 7. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and he found out the exact time that the star has appeared. And then he sent them. Wow, cool, cool, cool. Hey, search him properly. And if you find him, keep me in the loop. Mad invite, bro. Like, keep me in the loop. Let me know so then I can come and worship him as well. You see, the second type, the fakers, they act or interested, trying to find out the exact location, the exact time that Jesus was born, finding out as much detail about him as possible, and they seem eager to worship the Lord. But yet we find out later on in chapter 2 is that he, he is actually plotting to kill his rival. And to do that, he's going to kill all the babies that is two years and under in all of Jerusalem. He'd rather kill mistakenly than not to kill his rival at all. So church, I hope that you are not in the second type of worshippers where you are just faking it. You are pretending. Yes, you may be going to church, but you're only doing that to look good in front of your peers, to, to make it though that you seem spiritual in front of the, the people around you. Maybe you're doing it to impress the girl that you like. Maybe you're just doing it, you're pretending to be godly so that people respect you. But really inside, you are just like Herod. You can't give up your rule and reign. You can't give up that title. You can't give up your control to give up your identity, the power of making decisions. You want to stay king over your own life. And you pretend. Now, the Magi was called the wise men, but they were nearly fooled by Herod until the angel actually exposes him. You can pretend, you can fool me, you can fool those around you, but you cannot fool God. Is your worship genuine? And now I want to talk about the last type of worshippers. Now, I call them the Ignorers, fakers, and the adorers. These are your true worshippers. Look at what the Magi does. The Bible tells us they followed a star and it stopped right in front of the place where the child was staying. Verse 10. They saw the star. They saw the child and they were overjoyed. Very different from the last two worshippers who were filled with anxiety and worry. No, no, these guys were filled. It says, 
they rejoice with exceedingly great joy. It wasn't just a smirk or a smile. Yay, we found him. No, these guys went hysterical. They went local over the, the founding that they have found. They have found the treasure that they have always longed for. It's like a treasure hunter actually finding treasure. It's like, I was going to say gold digger, but that's a bad example. Real gold diggers finding gold and saying Eureka. This joy was no longer inward. It was expressed externally. They could not contain it. Do you worship with this type of joy? When you find the treasure. Verse 11. Coming into the house, they saw the child and his, Mary, his mother Mary, and they bowed down and they worshipped him. They didn't worship Mary, they worshipped him by falling to the ground in front of a child. I don't know how old he is. He might be a baby. He might be one, two years old. I don't know. There's a lot of discussions that scholars debate over this. But they fell face down in front of a small human being. Now, don't forget who the Magi were. These guys were the VIPs of their time. They were the celebrities of their time. But yet, important as they were, they threw their self-worth, whatever status they have. May they be kingmakers. May they have crowned a few kings already. But they knew, they knew they were standing in front of the king of kings. You don't show off your stick figure drawings when you're standing in front of Leonardo da Vinci. You don't boast about how much your matchstick gives off light when compared to the sun. They knew their place. They knew that he's God and he's worthy. Then the Bible says they opened up their treasure and they presented to him with these gifts. And the author Matthew records down three gifts. They were gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now in the ancient world, it is common and it's almost expected that if you ever have an audience with a king, if you ever see a king, if you ever come and visit a king, you are expected to come with a gift. Because a gift was a sign of honor and respect. Just think about the gifts that you have bought this Christmas for various people, for various recipients. The gifts that we give is pretty much the desire to show or to echo how wonderful or how worthy our recipients are. Here's what I mean. Now, if you really love someone and if you're really interested in someone, the gift that you buy them or you get them is often more precious more meaningful or even self-made and sacrificial by you. But for the gift that for the people that you don't like, it's cheap. And you don't even care if they like it or not. You don't care. It's thought it's usually thoughtless. What gift do you bring this Christmas? The three gifts presented to Jesus at this time is important in one aspect. It is what is used to be used to fund this family to run away from Herod's plot. They, they, if you read 
Further on, they go to Egypt and they use these three gifts as funding so they could escape. But on the other hand, these three gifts have unique meanings. So let's talk about the first gift, gold. Now this metal is mentioned 417 times in the Bible. Gold is the emblem of wealth and of royalty. The safest gift that when you go and see a king, the safest gift that you, sh- you give them is actually gold because gold is worthy for a king. It's fit for a king. Now these magi, they already recognize this. This little human in front of us, he's king. They knew that he was king of the Jews before on Palm Sunday, the people yelled out, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, who is the king of Israel. He, they knew, these magis knew before Pontius Pilate gives him a sign that reads, here lies the king of the Jews. They knew before. Gold was a gift for a king. The gift of frankincense. What is frankincense? Is it like Frankenstein's cousin? I don't know. It's pretty much high-end incense. It's highly sought after. This is a luxury product. It comes from a sap of a tree that is dried out. And what they do is they grind it into powder. And when they burn it, it gives out this woodsy, oily, sweet, fragrant smell. And in the Bible, it gets mentioned in the Old Testament around 17 times. And it's always associated with the priest. It's something that a priest uses. Now imagine if you're Mary and Joseph, your kid just received like a lot of gold. And you're like, oh yeah, that's pretty good. And then your child gets some incense. What are you, why? (laughs) What is this? But this was prophetic of one of the roles that Jesus Christ would fulfill. He would play the role of the high priest. Now in Hebrews The book of Hebrews, it mentions 11 times that Jesus Christ is our great high priest. Now, what does a high priest do? How do they function? What a high priest does is he is the mediator. He is the man in the middle, which means from now on, you and I have a representative that stands before God the Father and speaking well on our behalf. A high priest is a representative of the people to God and God to the people. And the Bible says he also intercedes for us. That's what a high priest does. Imagine in the week, you had a really rough week. And someone comes to you and they say, hey, I remembered you this week and I was praying for you. How good do you feel? That's an intercessor. Now imagine if Jesus does the same thing, which he does do it day in, day out. He is sitting at the right hand of God and he intercedes for you. Now knowing that, how do you feel? This gift of frankincense was a prophecy that, hey, this is also the high priest. And the last gift, the most peculiar one of them all, which is myrrh. It is also a resin that comes out from a particular tree. Now myrrh, myrrh, I don't know if you ever guys ever seen myrrh. It's, it's pretty much used for a variety of things. It could be used for perfume. It could use, be used for antiseptic or used as a painkiller. But one of the most 
maybe the most prominent function of myrrh was the use of it by, use of it by dressing the dead. Now, myrrh was made famous by the Egyptians at the, around the time of 1500 BC. Now, the Egyptians re- realized that myrrh was good. Myrrh made mummies. Now, myrrh was a key ingredient in making an emblem fluid that could help embalm the dead. Now, again, if you are Mary and Joseph, your kid receives a lot of gold. Woo! Then receives incense. Oh, it's okay. Still good. Still good. But then your child receives a gift for corpse. Remember how I said Jesus Christ was our great high priest. And another function of a priest, what their job is to do is they will present a sacrifice. They will slaughter the animal upon the altar. But Jesus himself, if you read on, he is the lamb of God. He is the priest, but yet he is also the sacrifice, giving himself up for all. Already in his early life, there is already a shadow of the cross. Myrrh was presented here in his early days, and it's also presented in the tomb. This was a prophetic gift. This is how humanity is to be saved. This child will die. Now, usually as a parent, I have a kid now. What I think about is life. What school she's going to go to, how her grade's going to be. She better not date. What job? I'm, I'm, as a father, I'm thinking about the child's life. Now, imagine if guests come to you and saying, you know, your child's purpose is to die. How do you take that? Why does Jesus need to die? Why? Because there is a gap so wide caused by sin. There is a breach so far, a fissure so deep, a chasm that has made us so distant away from our Creator God. And only through His body on the cross that can bridge us, His blood spilt there, that there will be any forgiveness of sin. And only then and then there is the wrath of God that can can be rightfully averted from our heads. He takes our place so we may take his. So we could finally come back into the presence of the Father. You see, these last type of worshippers, the adorers, these magis, they didn't come empty-handed. Now, this is the last point I want to give you guys, and I'm inviting the band to come up. They did not come empty-handed. How many times have we come empty-handed? Oh, Christ don't need anything from me. He has everything already. How often do we come with that attitude? They came and they bore gifts. It says they opened their treasures 
The Bible also says where your treasure is, is also where your heart is. In other words, what they were communicating is, Jesus, I am giving you my heart. Now, some scholars would argue that the real gift of the Magi was their heart of worship. Now, look at verse 7, 11 clearly. They came and they worshipped Him. And only after they worshipped Him that they brought gifts to Him. It's not the other way around. You don't come with gifts. That's not worship. No, no. Because they worshipped, they also bore gifts. And their giving, their giving was only a part of their worship. What was also consisted of their worship was their faith that there is a Messiah, that there is a Savior. What also consisted of their worship was their pursuit and in search for the living God. They went and traveled afar, no matter the distance, no matter the inconvenience, no matter how harsh the journey would be, they went and they wanted to be in front of Him, to bow down in front of Him and to bow down. What also consisted of that type of worship is they throwing away their dignity. They are throwing away their status. They are putting it all on the ground in front of their Lord King Jesus because they know that He is worthy. What also consisted of their worship was not just a sum of money, and possession, what else it would also cost them relationships. Look at verse 12. The angel appeared to them and says, Hey, go another way, don't go back to Herod. What consisted of also in their worship was risking relationships. They would have offended Herod. Herod might as well gave out a search party chasing them down defying the government that is ruling at the moment they sacrificed that and what also consisted of their worship was the courage and the obedience to obey that command to go another way they came back do you have the courage to be obedient Do you have the courage to forsake relationships, to forsake promotion? And how did they worship? The Bible tells us they worshiped with great joy. A joy that wasn't just kept inwards, a joy that was expressed outwards, just just overflows. Now, how could they worship like that? Because they understood that there was a gift from God and that gift was God Himself. Church, the gift was the giver. Of course, church, this is how we are to worship Jesus. He is worthy. He is so different from the current king, Herod. Herod was threatened by rivals and he wanted to kill off all his enemies. But Jesus comes down to save His enemies. Herod on his last breath only thought about the destruction and killing off all rivals, all of his enemies. But Jesus on his last breath, you know what Jesus said? 
Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Herod's death led to many other deaths. Jesus' death brought many life, eternal life. And he thought of you. Now, despite the torturous whip that was on his back, despite the weight of the cross that was on his shoulders, despite him carrying the burden of our sins, despite the nail-pierced hands and the nail-pierced feet and, and the crown of thorns upon his head and above his head was a mocking sign that says, here is the king of the Jews. Despite there was spit, saliva drying up on him as he hangs up there grasping and struggling for every breath of air. Beneath him were Roman soldiers gambling away his garment. He is left up there naked. And above the heavens, in the heavens, God the Father in all of eternity past and all of eternity presence was ready to turn His face away from the Son. And there on that cross, as he was about to take that cup of wrath, he still thought about you. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Icos Church, I don't know if you can see Jesus tonight, but if you can look into his eyes, he will say to you, see as far as from the east is to the west, see how far I have removed your sin. You are loved, you are loved, you are loved, you are loved, you are loved by me. Who can condemn you? Who, which court could they bring you in? Everything belongs to me. You are covered by my blood, by my new covenant. You are mine. Church, is this not a monarch that is worthy of our worship? Let's no longer be so indifferent coming to this festive season of Christmas. Oh, it's just another year of Christmas. No, no. Let us not be so embarrassed when we sing and praise the Lord. Let us not care what others think, those beside us, those in front of us. Who cares if they think we're weird, if we raise our hand or if we cry or if we bow down? Who cares? What you should be focusing on is the King in front of you who loves you, who dies for you. Give your hearts to Him. It will not be ever broken. It will be safe. Let us adore our Lord. Let us cherish Him in these next few moments. And let us just delight in His presence. God bless you, church.